When talking about climate change, who is to blame? Is it corporations, people in general, or is it Christians? Is climate change even an issue? Today on Creation Magazine Live. Welcome to another audio podcast from your friends at CMI. Faith-building evidences for the accuracy of the Bible are coming right up. Welcome to Creation Magazine Live. I'm Thomas Bailey. And I'm Alexander Osborne. Last week we started talking about climate change, summarizing some of the points in a massive article entitled A Biblical and Scientific Approach to Climate Change by Dr. Don Batten, who leads our Australian office. Many Bible-believing scientists and researchers contributed to it. We examined some of the data and we looked at the influence of worldviews. Mm -hmm. We discovered there are neo-Marxist goals behind some of the climate agenda, and we looked at many failed predictions of climate models. Right. Yeah. Despite all of this, we still hear that 97% of scientists agree that man-made CO2 will cause catastrophic warming. Hmm. The underlying question is, can the majority of scientists be wrong? Well, actually, they can be, <laughs> and they have been many times in the past. Consensus science is in science. Mm. Science often progresses when one scientist makes a new discovery that overturns the consensus. But ignoring the history of science for a moment, is there really 97% agreement? <laughs> See, that figure comes from a 2013 paper that examined abstracts of nearly 12,000 climate wow. science papers from 1991 to 2011. Okay. The conclusion was that 97% of those who expressed an opinion endorsed the idea that humans are causing global warming. Okay. Based on that, former President Obama's Twitter account said, 97% of scientists agree climate change is real, man-made, and dangerous. Hmm, dangerous? Well, <laughs> it sounds like it was exaggerated a little bit. Yeah, just a bit. The tweet was actually posted by an activist group called Organizing for Action, and the study was done by members of another activist group, Skeptical Science. Mm. The study's authors admitted only 64 of the nearly 12,000 papers claimed most of the warming is caused by humans. Other researchers found only 41 of the papers made such a claim. Mm. Two-thirds of the papers expressed no view on the subject, which means less than 1% of the papers that did express a view claimed most warming is man-made. So how did 1% become 97? <laughs> That's good From question. the papers expressing a view, the, the study authors accounted all views that man-made greenhouse gases are causing some warming. Mm -hmm. But this is virtually meaningless. Right. Most yeah. global warming skeptics agree to some warming. Yeah. So the 97% is a dishonest statistic, mm -hmm. but it's gotten a lot of press. Yeah, What's right. less known is the growing number of scientists who disagree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, and they're often treated like those who disagree with evolution, right? Yeah. Like climate change dissenters, or maybe we should say realists, <laughs> are often shamed and persecuted for challenging the consensus view. The alleged 97% consensus is an example of manipulating data to support a particular viewpoint. Richard and Matt mentioned the fraudulent hockey stick graph in the mm -hmm. last episode. And sorry to say, there have been several other instances of data tampering from institutions like NASA, the UK Climate Authorities, and the Australian Bureau of Meteorology, or BOM. Right, yeah. I mean, for example, Australia's hottest day on record was 51.7 degrees Celsius at Burke, 
way back in January 3rd, 1909. That's hot. BOM claimed it was an anomalous event because the rest of the stations failed to record a similar temperature. But nearby Brewarna recorded 50.6 degrees Celsius on the same day. Mm. Well, that's pretty close. And that was more than 100 years ago. That's right. If the hockey stick graph was accurate, you would think that the record should have been broken many times by recent high temperatures, right? That's true. But the the second hottest day on record was 51.1 degrees Celsius at White Cliffs on January 12, 1939. (laughs) And was also not included in the official digitized records. More manipulated data. Mm -hmm. Well, here's another one. This graph shows surface temperatures in the U.S. from 1880 to 1998. Notice the high point in the 1930s compared to the second highest in the late 1990s. Mm -hmm. Now look at NASA's surface temperature records for a similar period. Hmm. The 1930 spike was adjusted down, and the 1990 spike was adjusted up, along with other temperatures, making it look like recent temperatures were higher than ever, but they weren't. Right. And examples like these of climate authorities tampering with the data deceive the public into thinking that there is a problem where there isn't. Mm. Climate change has become accepted by society to the point where it's just assumed to be reality. And it's even blamed for about any natural disaster, right. like, yeah. like hurricanes or droughts, flooding, forest fires, even things like uh, changes in animal populations or vegetation. Right. Yep. Yeah. For example, the 2019 bushfires in Australia were called unprecedented and were blamed on climate change. Right, but unprecedented is is just wrong because mm. in the 1938 to 39 fire season, over 80 people died in bushfires compared to 34 in 2019. 5 million hectares burnt in 2019, but there were 117 million hectares mm. burnt in 1974 to 75. The unprecedented 2019 fires were precedented after all. Christians are sometimes blamed for environmental problems, including climate change, because Mm -hmm. of the biblical dominion mandate. Historian Lynn White Jr. said, Christianity insists that it is God's will that man exploit nature for his proper ends. Um, no. God gave man (laughs) dominion over the earth to subdue it, but the type of dominion involved is benevolent. A caring and managerial dominion. It's like the way King Solomon's dominion resulted in Mm. peace on all sides around him with every man under his vine and under his fig tree. God gave us abundant resources to manage and use for our benefit. Based on the thoughts of the late Francis Schaeffer, we can illustrate it this way. When a Christian sees a tree within a biblical perspective, he respects it as a tree created by God. So he doesn't condone chopping it down just for the sake of chopping it down without a good reason. Yeah, that's right. And at the same time, he's free from the pagan notions about nature that you're angering the forest gods, for example. So he's happy to use that tree God provided to build a house, for example, right? At the same time, the dominion mandate would encourage him to consider the needs of future generations. That's right. That might mean he plants another tree to take its place or ensures that the supply of trees isn't eliminated from the earth. Yeah, that's right. Last week, we highlighted a few failed climate predictions. Since this is a common theme, we can add some more. Mm. In 2007, Dr. Tim Flannery predicted there wouldn't be enough rain to fill Australia's reservoirs. Yet, Australia has had major floods since then, right? 
<laughs> He's the same Dr. Flannery who was mentioned on last week's show about being wrong about the Arctic ice disappearing within a few years. Climate alarmists have predicted terrible consequences from rising sea levels that just haven't materialized. In 1989, the UN said, Entire nations will be wiped out by the year 2000 if the sea level rises are not stopped. Wow. <laughs> a prime candidate they thought was Tuvalu, a nation of atoll islands in the Pacific Ocean. But Tuvalu actually increased in land area by 3% over the last 40 wow. years. And a 2018 <laughs> survey of 30 Pacific and uh, Indian Ocean atolls, including 709 islands, showed that no atoll had lost land area in recent decades at all. <laughs> <laughs> Regarding rising sea levels in the biblical worldview, Noah's flood created ideal conditions for an ice age, right. beginning right after the flood, lasting for several hundred mm -hmm. years. There's plenty of evidence for an ice age, including the erosion of landscapes, uh, scraping of bedrock, the leftover rocks and boulders from retreating ice sheets, leftover ice caps, and much more. Cappuccino? Not that kind of ice cap. Naturalists suggest there have been many ice ages over millions of years, though the evidence really just points to one. As you can imagine, since Noah's flood, there have been massive changes in sea level, and there's evidence for this that scientists can see today, mm -hmm. like old shorelines, marine fossils, and small fossil coral reefs on land. This graph includes the secular timeline, so that needs some adjusting. But it shows the rise in sea level since the height of the Ice Age, when the glaciers were at their largest. Hmm. It shows that at that time, sea level was about 120 meters, or 390 feet, lower than now. Right, and in the creation model, the sea level values indicated here would mm -hmm. also change for a variety of reasons. Yeah. One of those is there were no ice sheets immediately after the flood. Okay. The Greenland and Antarctic ice sheets developed during a single post-flood ice age, rapidly at first and then continuing to build slowly until reaching a steady state. Because of that, and recalibrating uniformitarian assumptions on the size of the ice sheets, mm -hmm. recent studies suggest that sea level was about 68 meters or 220 feet higher at the end of the flood than it is okay. now. Yeah. As ice sheets grew over a few hundred years, sea level dropped dramatically to about 55 meters, or 180 feet below today's level, and then rose as the ice, uh, ice age melted. Right, and satellite measurements indicate sea levels are currently rising at about 3.3 millimeters per year, or about one foot per hundred years, mm -hmm. assuming the data is accurate. Calibration of satellites is quite complex, right, with many factors affecting it. Keep in mind, global sea level can't be measured locally because continents also go up and down. For example, much of northern Europe is rising, rebounding after being pushed down during the Ice Age. Other factors include volcanic and tectonic activity. But what if all the ice in the Arctic Sea and all the icebergs melted? Hmm. It wouldn't raise the sea level. Really? Remember learning about Archimedes in school? Who? The bathtub guy, remember? Oh, yeah, Eureka. <laughs> you can see the Archimedes principle at home when you put an ice cube in a glass of water. Okay. As the ice cube melts, its density increases while its volume decreases. Oh. So it takes up only the space displaced by the ice. So the water right. level doesn't change. Oh, unless you drink some of it, right? So back to Arctic ice. <laughs> if the Arctic becomes ice-free, if all the ice, sea ice melts, there'll be no change in sea level. The melting of ice on land would cause sea level right, to rise. Right. 
A study of grounded ice volumes in Greenland and Antarctica showed a loss of ice from 2003 to 2019, resulting in a 14-millimeter rise in sea level over 16 years. If all of Antarctica's grounded ice were to melt, sea level would rise about 57 meters, or 190 feet. Right, and now that would be a problem for anyone living close to the ocean near sea level. Yeah. But don't panic. <laughs> At current melting rates, it'll take 82,000 years to get that far. No need to call the moving van just yet. Once again, the data shows there's no urgent emergency. Right. Climate data has been manipulated, and past predictions about what we should mm -hmm. be seeing now have failed. Right. We ought to be more concerned about the effect that climate alarmism has on children. Mm -hmm. Children are becoming increasingly worried about the future because they continue to be told that the Earth is going to fry. Shouldn't we just let kids be kids? Mm -hmm. I mean, scaring them with faulty doom and gloom stories is, is really a form of child abuse. Yeah. Not unlike telling them that monsters are real and living under the bed. Some have become mistrustful of older generations, believing they've ruined the planet. That's right. And some young couples have chosen not to have children at all because of their own fear about the future. Yet it's the children of today who will have the opportunity to come up with solutions for real environmental problems. It's a shame that big decisions often get made based on fake news, yeah. exaggerated predictions, and even fraudulent data. Mm -hmm. So what about coral reefs? It's been suggested climate change will result in higher water temperature, which causes the bleaching of coral. This means corals will expel the algae living in their tissues, causing the coral to turn white. The coral doesn't necessarily die, but they do become stressed and their mortality rate does go up. So what was predicted and what actually happened? In 2012, Dr. Nancy Knowlton from the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History okay. predicted that 90% of the living coral in the central and south sections of the Great Barrier Reef would be gone in 10 years. Ten years. Now, there has been some damage from the crown of thorns, starfish, and cyclones, but little evidence of a long-term downward trend in the amount of hard coral recovered. Okay, well, the Smithsonian did admit that Only 10% of the claimed losses of coral were actually from ble bleaching. Mm. Another failed prediction. There are other factors causing coral bleaching besides a rise in ocean temperature. For example, upward growth of the reef traps pools of water that then overheat. A study of long-term bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef by way of drill cores showed periods of severe bleaching going back to the 1700s, wow. well before any <laughs> recent global warming. And now for the topic you've all been waiting for. Ocean acidification. You excited? Sure. Well, let's do it anyway. When atmospheric CO2 increases, more of it dissolves in the ocean, creating carbonic acid, which can affect the availability of calcium carbonate used by creatures like corals to build their skeletons. Researchers from James Cook University in Australia published eight papers claiming acidification also harms coral reef fish species. However, other scientists were unable to replicate the findings and even found evidence of fraud. In fact, there's evidence that coral can acclimatize to much higher CO2 levels. Really? They certainly did in the past, yeah. both before and immediately after Noah's flood. Right. So yet another prediction failed. And yet there are alarm bells being unnecessarily mm -hmm. rung about calamities that will supposedly result from climate change. It's fear-mongering, plain and simple. 
Yes, it's very sad. Yeah. Now, we acknowledge that we've thrown a lot of data at you in yeah. these two episodes. <laughs> but rather than try to remember it all, you can refer to the comprehensive article on the subject at creation.com slash climate change. Mm-hmm. Great article. The bottom line is climate change is not a huge emergency like yep. we've been told. Yep. For Christians, everything we witness happening in our world, including small changes in climate, makes sense in a biblical worldview. Yeah. While activists sound the alarm, the Bible tells us we live in a fallen world, but we can rest assured that God is in control. Now, does that mean we should ignore threats to our environment? No. 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 But there are other environmental threats that are more serious yeah. than alleged climate change, right. such as plastics in the ocean, overfishing, and heavy metals in drinking water. Yeah, and fossil fuels do cause problems like air pollution. And there are technological solutions available if there's available wealth to invest Mm -hmm. in them. Although it's not a perfect system, wealth is created primarily by industries dependent on fossil fuels. For companies that want to convert to a different energy source, that will take time. For example, wind and solar are not viable everywhere, and there are pollution challenges and other problems to overcome in setting up those systems. In the meantime, let's be careful that our economy doesn't fall apart just out of zeal for a cleaner environment because that hurts everyone. There's no use replacing one problem with another. That's right, yeah. And in some countries that can't afford fossil fuels, people burn dung and wood, both releasing CO2 and causing terrible air pollution. Under the Paris Accord, wood is considered renewable energy as opposed Mm. to coal. So there are coal-fired power stations in the UK and Europe being converted to run on wood. So much for save the trees. I know, right? Back in the day, before oil wells, whale oil was used for lamps. (laughs) So in a way, fossil fuels helped save the whales. Save the whales, yeah. Other proposed fuel alternatives aren't as wonderful as they sound either. Electric cars might be the future, but there are serious problems associated with mining lithium for batteries, Mm, including using a lot of water and potential leaks of toxic chemicals used in processing. Oh, and that electric car should ideally be charged by some other form of electricity not generated by pollution-producing power plants. In Southeast Asia, rainforests are being destroyed to make room for palm oil plantations to make biofuels. In some places, existing farmland is being converted from food to grain production for ethanol. Mm -hmm. So more non-fossil fuel in the car, but less food to eat. I vote for more food. Yeah, I second that. Speaking of food, CO2 is plant food, and more of it would actually be a good thing. A 2017 paper in Nature indicated the increase in CO2 is responsible for 30% of the world's biomass production over the last century. That's food for both animals and people. With more CO2 in the air, plants spend less time with their leaf pores open, losing less water so they can survive in drier climates. Mm -hmm. Increased CO2 is causing the greening of deserts. Wow. (laughs) Meanwhile, here in Canada, the government refers to CO2 as a pollutant. Mm. And as in some other countries, it's enacted a carbon tax. (laughs) Pollutant? Try living without it. (laughs) We'd all die. The pre-flood world had up to 15 times the amount of CO2 as now. And vegetation flourished. That's where fossil fuels came from. As the vegetation of the pre-flood world was buried during the flood, it was then converted into coal and oil. The burial of much carbon in the ground has resulted in the CO2 drought that we are now in. All of these environmental concerns need to be tackled, ultimately with care for people. 
Climate change is a huge topic involving many different environmental factors. Let's look at a few more and then draw some conclusions. While CO2 emissions seem to get all the attention, there are other factors affecting global temperatures, right. including chlorofluorocarbons. Remember yep. those? <laughs> Authors of a 2020 study wrote, gases that deplete the ozone layer could be responsible for up to half of the effects of climate change observed in the Arctic from 1955 to 2005. Wow, up to half is pretty significant. Yeah. A resulting reduction in the area of snow or its annual duration means less reflection of sunlight back into space, and therefore, more Arctic warming. But because CFCs have been discontinued, this effect may decrease over time. Obviously, the sun is a major factor. Yep. Without it, we wouldn't even be here. Yep. Solar cycles affect climate by way of stratospheric warming, cosmic rays, and cloud cover. Mm -hmm. For example, an 11-year cycle of Earth's position relative to the sun results in a variation in Earth's temperature of 0.2 degrees Celsius. Right, yeah. The Maunder Minimum refers to a prolonged period of very few sunspots from 1645 to 1715, during the Little Ice Age. Recently, for the first time since the 1600s, we've had several years with no sunspots. Really? Maybe the normal 11-year cycle will resume, but maybe not. So if the primary driver of climate is the sun, and if we can't predict what it will do in a short time frame... How can we predict temperature decades and centuries out? Also, there's a hypothesis that when the sun's solar wind is strong mm -hmm. and the Earth is protected from cosmic rays, the result is less cloud formation and the Earth warms. Right. Yeah. When the solar wind is weak, like now when sunspot activity is low, more cosmic rays cause more clouds to form, cooling the planet. Right. And none of these models get clearly as much press as CO2. No. Maybe that's because we've already stopped using CFCs and we can't control the sun. <laughs> and humans do like to think we're in control. Yeah, that's right. In these episodes, we've thrown a lot of information at you in a short mm -hmm. amount of time, and we've only touched on some of the data. To dig in further, check out Don Batten's article at creation.com slash climate change. Right, wonderful article. Let's finish up by summarizing the key points we've learned about the climate change debate and how Christians should respond. First, the whole issue has become politicized to the point where it's not even about the environment anymore and has led to failed predictions and the corruption of some of the science. Worldview affects how we think about the environment and our hope for the future. Mm -hmm, that's right. Atmospheric CO2 has been increasing over the last hundred years or so, but temperatures over that time don't support the hypothesis that human-generated CO2 is the prime cause of temperature increases. The science is not settled. No. Nope. Official climate models predicting up to 4.5 degrees Celsius of global warming do not line up with actual data. Those models should be rejected. The impact of global warming on various natural disasters is not supported by the evidence. Right. There is no climate emergency, so please stop fear-mongering. We live in a fallen world, but... This isn't all there is. No. Believers are to take care of this world while looking forward to new heavens and new earth. Mm -hmm. That's right. Ultimately, God is in control, not mankind. As Christians, our priority needs to be on spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's right. As Amen. more people turn to Christ and grow in their understanding of the Christian worldview, conforming their thinking in every area to the truth, they'll be better able to correctly prioritize climate change issues. Right. That's right. 
And a lot of these issues, right, that are addressed in Creation Magazine, like the article that this one was based on. You can get a free copy of Creation Magazine digitally if you go to creation.com slash free mag. A lot of great content in there. Lots of great things. And and really, it does all come down to worldview in many cases. Because if you uh, take a long ages evolutionary worldview, there's no God, everything's natural processes, then we get some of these uh, these climate change ideas that we've been hearing about. Mm -hmm. Biblical worldview, we get a different perspective on it all. But remember, Christianity is an evidence-based faith. And science supports scripture. Both the Creation Magazine Live TV show and this podcast are produced by Creation Ministries International, a global think tank organization dedicated to disseminating the huge amount of scientific evidence for the accuracy of the biblical account of the origin of our universe. If you'd like to donate to keep this information coming, go to creation.com slash donate. And thanks for listening.